This episode of Modern Bonsai is brought to you by Bonsai N, Australia's premium online bonsai store. Shop for all your favourite tools, pots and accessories with afterpay and fast Australia-wide shipping. Visit www.bonsain.com.au That's www.bonsai-en.com.au You can also find us on Instagram at bonsain and on YouTube by searching Bonsai N. Modern Bonsai listeners, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today's guest is Peter Chan from Heron's Bonsai. A lot of you probably know him from his YouTube channel, and a lot of you probably know him from some of the books he's written. He's written about nine books so far, so eight of them are on bonsai and one of them are on Japanese gardening. Unfortunately, Peter had some technical difficulties on his end and we only received 20 minutes of his audio from this interview. So we're still going to release the 20 minutes that we do have and we apologize for not having the rest of the audio. I know that a lot of you are fans of Peter's work and would have loved to have gotten the last 20 minutes of this podcast but unfortunately we only have my audio so I mean you don't really want to listen to a one-sided conversation (laughs) but anyway here's what we do have of the podcast and I hope you do enjoy it thank you for our listeners who haven't maybe seen your YouTube videos yet or heard of who Peter Chan is do you want to just give a little bit of a background on yourself and Heron's Bonsai? Well, Heron's Bonsai was started back in 1985, and we've been here now 34 years. For me, Peter Chan, it is my third career. I didn't start off as a professional bonsai person. I'm only a bonsai amateur, but I uh, learned all my bonsai self-taught when I came to the UK. I've been living in the UK since 1963. And when I got married in 1966, I started making ceramics. And while making ceramics, I thought of making bonsai pots to grow my plants because we lived in a, a balcony flat and everything that I grew had to be grown in pots. So I thought of making some ceramic bonsai pots while I was making my pottery. Pottery was only a hobby. I am a professional electrical engineer. I came to this country to work as an engineer. So I worked for 10 years with the electricity industry. That means the people who generate electricity and distribute the electricity to big cities and things like that. So I moved around quite rapidly in my career. And after 10 years, I joined the UK government in their Department of Energy as their energy policy advisor. And I did various jobs, electricity, North Sea oil and gas, nuclear, the whole lot. And when Mrs. Thatcher came into power in 1979, I helped write some of her speeches for selling off the uh, public utilities because she more or less invented privatization, as you may know. And it was really Mr. Thatcher who inspired me because that was the age in the 80s of enterprise culture, standing on your own two feet, not relying on the state to support you. 
So I was fired by that. And besides, I wasn't really uh, getting on in the British civil service. I felt there was so much discrimination that you wouldn't get promotion if you hung around there. So I said, stuff the bloody thing. I'll go and do my own thing. So what could I do? The only thing I could do was to uh, use my hobby and turn it into a business. So back in 85, I had the lucky break. We came across a derelict nursery. It was only four and a half acres, 15 miles south from where I lived near Croydon. And when I saw this property, my wife and I absolutely loved it. Although it was derelict and run down, it was going for a song. So I couldn't miss the chance. But although it was going for a song, in relative terms, it was about 10 times the, uh, the value of the property I was living in. So I had to find a mortgage 10 times the size, which was quite daunting at the time. So, but then that's one of those things, you, uh, you don't take that decision, you know, you lose it for the rest of your life. And I'm glad I took that decision. So this is my third career and it's been the happiest one. And we've started from scratch from a derelict nursery and we've made good. But when I started back in 85, 86, there were already a couple of big players in the game. And a lot of my bonsai friends said to me, they'll eat you up, they'll swallow you up. But uh, they've all uh, gone bust and I'm now the biggest person here. So it just shows that you set your mind to it and use some business acumen and uh, keep your uh, bonsai hobby in its right place and not get carried away with the artistic side too much, it will be a success. But it's been a hard, long journey, but I enjoy every bit of it. And the latest, uh, I wouldn't say whim, but uh, my way of uh, communicating with the bonsai world is really through YouTube. I'm a great believer in the digital media. I've managed to keep up with the times. Despite my age, I'm now 79, but despite that, I have been able to keep up with digital things. And four or five years ago, we turned our business around because we don't get passing traffic. And we made a conscious effort of going digital. So at the moment, more than half our turnover is from uh, online sales. So this is how we go. And although I have written nine books eight of them on bonsai, one of them on Japanese gardens, I find that the YouTube um, way of communicating with uh, bonsai uh, folk is much more satisfying because the feedback I get from them is absolutely tremendous and I can communicate with them instantly. So this is what I've been doing lately. And from some of the YouTube videos that uh, your listeners may have seen, we run a very lovely place. But bonsai is more a passion than just a business. So we do it for the love of it, and making money is only incidental. So I hope that is in a nutshell of how um, we started the bonsai business and how we run it. Bonsai, of course, is my first love, and I'm fortunate in being proud to say that Heron's Bonsai is the best bonsai nursery in the UK. I'm just about to go off to Wisley at the RHS Royal Horticultural Society's Gardens in Wisley. We have a huge collection of 38 bonsai, which I would say is the unofficial national collection of bonsai in this country, because there is none other like that in the UK. And I go there once a month to tend it. And um, I hope I will be able to answer some of the queries and questions that you may wish to put to me.
Yeah, I would say that over the years, from what I've seen of Heron's Bonsai, you've actually done really well with it. It's one of those things, like you said, bonsai is a passion, and for most people it's a hobby, hobby first and maybe a business second. And you kind of touched on it a little bit with the, the digital age. It's really starting to turn around now. There's a lot of YouTube videos starting to come through and podcasts and things like Instagram is really helping push the art of bonsai forward. And we're feeling that here in Australia with digital media being able to, oh. being able to push our Australian native trees and show them to people overseas. Oh. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, very good. Yeah, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, but one of the other questions I had for you, when you first started with Bonsai back in the early 80s, especially with your business, what was your first love? Did the Japanese gardens come first or did the Bonsai come first? No, no, the Bonsai has always been first. The Japanese gardens were, was an incidental thing. Although the Japanese garden side of our business is quite large, um, again, it's a self-taught uh, art or discipline, uh, whatever you call it. Um, I used to display my uh, bonsai in very nice Japanese garden settings on the nursery. And when customers came to the nursery, said that, oh, this looks very nice, you know, can you help set this up for me in my garden? So it grew and grew from there. So, you know, it wasn't of my own choosing, but people just wanted me to do that sort of thing. So it's just grown from there. And the other thing that you said was that uh, you started out as a ceramicist. And that's kind of interesting yes. because in Australia here at the moment, we have some very, very talented ceramicists. Um, I would say that... Good, excellent. Yeah, I'd say they're some of the best in the world. And what they're very good at is actually creating bonsai pots that not only represent the Australian landscape, but they hold our trees very perfectly. Is there anything in the UK there at the moment? Is there any bonsai artists over there that are doing that same kind of thing? Or do you think that there's any kind of ceramicists over there that are creating bonsai pots that are kind of native to the UK? Well, I'm not sure if you are aware, there is a very good British potter called Gordon Duffett. I think he's about the same age as I am. And back in the early 80s, in fact, I have one of his pots or some of his pots from 1980, before I even dreamt of starting my business. And uh, he is a very, very good potter. And his pots are very, very collectible. And for those who are discerning, I have people from America, all over the place, and even New Zealand, who have bought a lot of uh, his pots through me. I was collecting his pots from, I said, 1980. And I used to commission a lot of pots to suit certain trees of mine. But because I don't exhibit so much, I still have about 40 or 50 of his pots. Each of his pots uh, are worth from three to five, six hundred pounds each. I can command that money. Uh, the, I once sent a shipment because someone was emigrating to New Zealand and he bought about 20 of those pots and took back to New Zealand in a 20-foot sh shipping container. Uh, you know, he prized it so highly. And I have Americans who want to buy that as well. So his pots are really uh, valued. If you look up the internet for Gordon Duffett, you'll find some of his pots on view. 
Yeah, well, our listeners will probably look that up after they listen to the podcast because finding a good ceramicist these days is very valuable because you can put a tree in any old mass-produced pot, but it's not until you put it in that handcrafted pot that it really sets the tree off to that next level. Yeah, of course. So from the time that you started in the early 80s, how much do you how much would you say that bonsai has changed from then to now well if i may go back earlier i started experimenting with bonsai back in 1967 in my balcony flat and i didn't belong to any society but once i uh, joined the society i changed my a job from the electricity job to the government job. So I had to work back in London, you know, in Whitehall next to the Houses of Parliament. And the British Bonsai Association, which was one of the big bonsai clubs in the UK at that time, was only a stone's throw from there. So after work, once a month, I used to attend their meetings. I finally became their chairman from 1980 to 87 for seven years. And it was when I joined the club that the interest really took off. I still remember when I joined in 1974, most of the bonsai which were made in those days by the bonsai contemporaries of the time were just little conifers put in those pate dishes. You know what pate dishes are? You know, they sell pate in those ceramic pots, about eight inch in diameter. Uh, yeah. yeah. So they just drilled holes in those pots and put it in and call it a bonsai. So they were no more than just conifer trees in little pots and they call it bonsai. There was no shaping, you know, it's just a little blob. But things have moved on since then. I, I would say from the early 80s, things really took off. And I would say by the 90s, it had matured. And uh, the same goes for countries like Germany, Italy. Uh, the bonsai art has really taken off. And of course, uh, Kimura, who does all that, intricate carving. He has influenced a lot of people and in Europe today, a lot of people are into carving. Although I personally am not into carving, I don't like carving that much, but I do admire the art of carving. Uh, so bonsai has moved on and the styles have changed and it has evolved for the better, I think. So in the 60s, do you think that they were more or less taking on the style of penjing more than they were bonsai if they were using very shallow trays? No, people had not heard of Chinese bonsai till I would say the mid-70s. They didn't even know what Chinese bonsai was. They didn't, they, everyone thought that bonsai was a Japanese art. They were just conifers and pots. It wasn't bonsai. It's not, penjing is really landscape and uh, more than Chinese style, but it's simply little conifers that you can buy in a garden centre and plonk in a pot. Yeah, because a lot of the penjing that I've seen, the trees aren't styled quite as... No, it's a Chinese rapidly. style. No, no, the Chinese style is quite different. It's a very unique, subtle style, which people don't appreciate. I remember there's a very famous guy who introduced Chinese bonsai to the West called Dr. Wu Yi-sun. He was the founder of the Wing Lung Bank in Hong Kong. I met him for the first time in 1990. I met him several times. And because he was so fond of uh, the Chinese style of bonsai, mainly the Lingnan style, he told me of that being Chinese, he said, how come you're ethnic Chinese and don't like Chinese bonsai? He derided Japanese bonsai. 
he thought they were all rubbish. So different cultures look on people, different bonsai styles in a different light. You know, the Chinese don't really like the Japanese for cultural reasons and for historical reasons. So they hate the Japanese. And the Japanese for the same reason, I would say. They never acknowledge that the bonsai came from China. They always say, oh, bonsai started in Japan in 1210 AD or something like that. They'll never say that it came from China. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I feel like, I don't know if bonsai would be as big as it is now if the Japanese didn't embrace it. Uh no, again, it's historical. I have written about it in my books. Uh, what really happened was during the um, communist uh, takeover in 1949, as you know, on the 1st of October, China celebrated 70 years of the founding of the communist state. And China was in such turmoil. And of course, when the revolution took place in 1949, right up to the early 80s, China was a closed country. Everyone referred to China as the bamboo curtain. You remember there was the Iron Curtain, which was Russia, the Soviet Union, and then there was China, the bamboo curtain. And everything behind the curtain, bamboo curtain was mysterious. They never had time to spread culture to the West. And meanwhile, after the Second World War, immediately after the Second World War, because the Japanese occupied Japan, the GIs, when they went back to America, some of them uh, got hooked on bonsai and they took it back to America. And of course, the American uh, Japanese on the west coast of the United States were proud of their culture, though they helped to spread bonsai in a big way. And in the UK, quite a few of the Brits who had business in Japan, they also had a taste of bonsai in Japan. So this is how it trickled to the west, but mainly, as you say, through the Japanese after the Second World War. The Chinese only started getting into uh, culture and making it available to the West from the late 70s and early 80s. And given that you were into bonsai and you were seeing all this happening, in the early 80s, so 1984, did you see a spike in popularity for bonsai once the Karate Kid movies come out? Was oh, there a lot more younger people coming to buy bonsai after that? Yes, without a doubt, especially when you run a business. Most of my customers used to be inspired by that movie. And uh, Karate Kid uh, started a lot of people off bonsai. So although bonsai is a horticultural thing, we found that many people were coming into bonsai via the martial arts. They didn't know the first thing about horticulture, but they made quite a success of bonsai coming via that route. Yeah, because as you say, they, they come in through martial arts and I find too that a lot of people, and I've heard you say this in some of your videos before, but through bonsai you've embraced the Japanese culture as well. It, it kind of works the other way. Oh yes, oh yes. Because that that's something that I like too. Once I got, I was one of those people who got into bonsai through martial arts, and okay. then once I started practicing bonsai, I really started to appreciate a lot of the Japanese culture, and mm -hmm. I started to appreciate a lot of their their clothing and their way of life, and just everything about the Japanese culture, and even koi ponds and I've got a book that I read um, on Japanese gardening which I find really interesting to to learn about all the different 
bridges that they have and the the gravel formations so it's once you get into bonsai and you find that japanese lifestyle it kind of opens a whole new world yes your story is uh, not unique a lot of people have uh, come into bonsai and japanese culture in the, in the same way you know they start off in bonsai and then they venture into other things japanese yeah so over the years i can imagine that you've probably worked on pretty much every plant species that's available to you over the years have you found one particular species that's grown to be your favorite to work with oh without a doubt the maples you only need to see some of our videos you know maple is the dominating species for me and i'm known for my maples my reputation is really based on my maples i love them because they are such beautiful trees they change color and they have this beautiful uh, you know structure in the branches unfortunately deciduous trees are not a very popular species for public demonstrations okay guys so this is unfortunately where peter's audio cut off we wish we had the rest of the audio for you because it was a really good conversation and i really enjoyed talking to peter he's really easy to talk to and very enthusiastic about bonsai i do urge you to check out his youtube channel heron's bonsai and maybe you can get some more information from him there because he does videos weekly probably two or three times a week actually and you can also check out bonsai and youtube channel because we're starting to release videos a lot more often now anyway i'll see you guys in the next episode and once again i apologize for not having the second half of this audio these things do happen but it's unfortunate thank you guys